Welcome to this week's edition of the Niners Nation Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, real football is upon us. The Patriots and the Chiefs, uh, sometimes known as the Chefs, are indeed playing on Thursday. There are 49ers players worth drafting in fantasy football this year. And newsflash, Kyle Shanahan, not a dick. So that, so I hear it. That's, uh, that's word on the street. Yeah. At least uh, he, I mean... He, at least he doesn't mean to be a dick. If he, he is a dick on occasion. Like it's it's unintentional. Yeah, I mean that's the be- that's the best kind. Unintentional dick is really is what basically what we're trying to say. Has gone hard in the paint uh, early um, on in this podcast. But man, we haven't even started drinking yet. Really. No, we really haven't. We really haven't. David's got uh, a Hawaiian IPA. I've got uh, I've got some Dalmore uh, Scotch. It's it's gonna be good. It's gonna be a good podcast. So we're gonna cover a couple things this week. We're gonna talk about the roster cut down day. What it tells us about Shanahan, Lynch, Lynchahan, if you will, and their roster construction thoughts. We'll do some quick hits, some season predictions, and we'll round out with the game against Carolina. Lots to get to this week, so let's jump right in. Of course, it is indeed the day where we know what the roster is going to look like. All 53 players are on the roster, and we thought there was going to be a waivers bonanza. Turns out it was just one dude, and that was that. <laughs> you know, it's anticlimactic, but hey, it happens. Only 22 of the 53 players on the opening day roster were on the 49ers last year. And if I'm doing my math right, that's less than 50%. I do believe that checks out. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I actually have it somewhere else. I think it's like 41.5% if we're looking to, uh, uh, to be official there. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is great, right? This is exactly what we hoped would happen. I don't even think we really expected... I mean, no. we were pretty aggressive in, in, in saying like how much they should overturn this roster. And, and we wanted to do it quickly and all that stuff. But I think this even uh, exceeded what our best expectations could have been for one offseason. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it needed to happen. And, and there's still a lot more that needs to be done. But, I mean, this is one, one hell of a start. And I think um, it, it tells you a little bit as well about they know where this team is at, right? They know that this isn't, you know, even though Kyle Shannon's never going to go out there and say like, look, yeah, we're not worried uh, a whole hell of a lot about winning games this year. Like they're, they're building this for the future, right? They have some veteran players that are guys that are in place now and uh, are going to be dispensable later, but they're not uh, choosing to keep some of those guys at the expense of a player who may become a key part two, three years from now, I think is something that you saw a lot. You look at the player retention distribution and you've got seven players on offense that were retained, 13 players on defense and two specialists. And that's about how you would like to see it shake out because we had more talent on defense than offense. I probably would have liked to have seen Zane Beatles, you know, go the way of the Dodo. But, you know, we can't win them all. And, and you know, we talked a lot about during the, the Trent Balky years about valuation and evaluation. And it seems to me like uh, jury's still out on the valuation. Uh, here's to you, Kyle Juszczyk, uh, <laughs> how much you value a player. But at least in the evaluation, it seems by and large like they're, you know, so far, early returns, kind of getting it. Yeah, I mean, uh, any strategy works if you find good players. You know, I mean, I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. The, the, the reason that, uh, you know, I think we preach a lot of things that we preach is because that's a really hard thing to do consistently to, to, to find those good players. But um, I think at least for this off season, you know, this is, uh, is, is off to a pretty good start. I think there's a lot of promise there, you know, as we're going to get to, it's still a lot of uncertainty. Um, but you know, this was a, a promising start. I think those seven on offense, you could have made a strong argument that I would have liked that to be like two. 
Yeah. Uh, I think like Joe's bring back Joe Staley and Carlos Hyde and like the rest of them, whatever. I'm actually kind of happy uh, with Kilgore. Uh, I'm glad that he's, he's yeah, Kilgore. Kilgore's fine. Yeah. I think that was the problem is like, so of those seven, right. Um, hardly any of them were skill position players. It's, it's, uh, Carlos yep. Hyde and Garrett Selleck are the only two, uh, holdovers there. So it's almost entirely offensive linemen, uh, which wasn't really a good thing, but you know, they, they didn't have a choice. Can't do it all in one off season. So that was kind of the part that I think you'll, you're going to see them, uh, really clean house on next year. So what did we learn about their decision making? Because every decision that this that this front office makes gives us a bit more insight. Because up to now we're we're not really operating with the playbook. We knew Trent Balky's tendencies. We knew that if there was a slightly talented player with a torn up knee, that he was likely going to be a 49er. We knew that if you had somebody with, you know, beyond 32 inch arms, he was probably going to be a 49er. We know that he's got, you know, Mizzou and SEC players on it like that. We know what his profile is. We don't really have that profile as much for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. So there, there are a couple of things that, at least from this roster's construction, I think we can take away. And first off is that the team is unafraid to go with upside versus familiarity. And this is something that John Lynch specifically called out. He says they have a saying, it's fight familiarity, which I think is actually kind of neat, not just because it's an alliteration, but because oftentimes GMs and coaches are afraid to go against what's familiar. They're going to pick the veteran because they're like, well, I don't know, there's risk with this rookie and he might make a bonehead mistake even though he's ultimately more talented. But you look at the decisions to go with Trent Taylor over Jeremy Curley. You look at the decision to trade Vance McDonald. You look at the decision to cut Tim Hightower. And those are all decisions that to me were A, the right decisions and B, decisions that let me know that this team is more concerned with fighting familiarity than they are just, you know, well, he's a vet, so we might as well keep him because, you know, veteran leadership. Yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, I guess really to, to the point that I was making earlier, I, I think is what I take away from that, right? Because I think this is is something that there's not always a right or wrong answer here, right? A lot of times it depends on uh, the, the, the state of your team and like where you're at from a roster standpoint, where you're at, uh, you know, are you competing for the playoffs? Or are you competing for, uh, you know, are you expecting to be in the Super Bowl? Like, what what are realistic realistic expectations for your franchise right now? And I think right now, like uh, again, keeping somebody like a Jeremy Curley, a Tim Hightower over a younger player doesn't make sense because you know it's it's not going to move the needle this year, right? Like that, it, this is the year to make those mistakes that you were you were mentioning there, right? For the rookies to come in and to learn and be able to develop on the fly, it doesn't need to be pretty this year. They need to get those guys out there see what they have and and really figure out who's going to be the foundation for this roster going forward. You look at Trent Taylor and this is someone whose physical comparison. It's so funny that everyone compares Trent Taylor to, you know, Danny Amendola and Wes Walker because, you know, he's white. But one thing that we learned from Dan Hatman uh, for this from the Scouting Academy is to purposefully compare players to players that are of a different race to try and make sure that your comps are, are based on physical skill sets and the way they perform and not just, you know, the way that they look. And and when you when you look at Trent Taylor's physical comparison on mock draftable, one of his top five comparisons is Jeremy Curley. Like they test almost the same when it comes to athleticism. They're seventy five percent similar. So this was another Jeremy Curley, both in terms of physical skill and arguably has better hands already. And all he's got to do is probably get a bit more refined as a route runner. But you already have another Jeremy Curley on the roster that's just younger and cheaper. Yeah, I mean, I love Trent Taylor. I mean, I think the the dude's going to be great. Um, I, I think he's just going to be somebody that goes out there and catches like a handful of passes every game and uh, it, it, it just kind of is that steady presence in the middle of the field that 
uh, is really nice for quarterbacks, especially like Brian Hoyer, you know, like the guys that like to, um, you know, maybe check it down a little bit, keep it underneath, you know, Hoyer, I think maybe a little bit more willing to take deep shots than some of the quarterbacks that we've had recently, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a good kind of security blanket element to have. And I think he's going to be great there. Incidentally, I drafted Marquise Goodwin in the league very late with like my last skill position pick. Uh, and I showed it to David and immediately he was like, yeah, cut Marquise Goodwin and pick up Trent Taylor. Like, that, yeah, that, that yeah was I just like, uh, I, I just, I can see like, it's hard for me to envision a scenario with Goodwin, right. Being like any sort of consistent player, right. I'm never going to feel comfortable putting Marquise Goodwin in my lineup. Like, yeah, he might have like a, a couple games because he's that deep play threat where he connects on a touchdown and has a monster game. But like Trent Taylor, I, I think is, uh, you know, maybe not right away from week one, but I, I think he very much is going to develop into like a steady, consistent presence for this offense. But Goodwin's my twofer, man. Goodwin's my twofer. He is both a Longhorn and a Niner. And and that's, you know, for me, that's that's all I can ask for. It's not like watching Texas on Saturdays is any good now. Have you heard that uh, he also has Olympic type speed he's fast he's pretty did fast. not know that yeah did not know that I, I wouldn't have put that together at all it's very interesting yeah it's very very interesting so vance mcdonald gets traded i think that's also the right move you don't re-sign a guy just because he's your guy you don't keep him just because you pay him a lot or you paid him a lot of money you contextualize his performance against the rest of the league and his performance when it came to catching the football was not very good it was twice as bad as the rest of the league we co- we covered that on last week's show And then I think, you know, a surprise potentially was Tim Hightower. He was penciled in as a bridge running back, but the team went with Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert. And and that, again, I think preseason actually mattered because Mostert was a guy who played pretty well in the preseason and he outperformed Tim Hightower. But everyone thought, oh, Tim Hightower was the guy who was brought in to be that veteran leader in the room. And Lynchahan was like, no, like Mostert's actually played better. He earns the spot. And that's that. Yeah, and I, I think that actually uh, is is a point worth bringing up to with a lot of these young guys, right? It's not like, uh, I mean, obviously there's like the Reuben Fosters and the Solomon Thomases that we expect to have big roles that, that were high draft picks, and that all makes sense. Um, but a lot of these guys offensively, right? I mean, um, Trent Taylor and George Kittle uh, were fifth round draft picks. Uh, Matt Breida was undrafted, of course. Like, And these are all guys that like those, we're talking about two players that are, effectively starters like if you consider trent taylor uh the slot receiver the number three like that is a starting player in today's nfl um so you have two starters there and then brita who currently is going to be the top backup to carlos hyde uh which as we know could very quickly turn into a starting role um and so i think that that speaks to like yeah we're gonna let you know the the best players are gonna play regardless of whether we're not gonna give somebody more chances right because we're not gonna advance mcdonald uh, more chances, even though he wasn't their guy necessarily. He didn't draft him, right? But he was a second-round pick. doesn't matter. Like, uh, we're going to, you know, it, it, I think it was very clear that George Kittle was a better player. We're going to play him. And so I think uh, that's something that I, I definitely hope continues. You know, you don't want to uh, necessarily give guys uh, extra press, like extra chances necessarily just because they have higher draft pick. So right now the team is unafraid to go with upside versus familiarity. But you've also got a skill position upgrade. Hyde is the only returning starter. And Selleck and Hyde are the only returning skill positions on offense at all. Which I think is the right move. And I would even be happy if Selleck would have been cut for someone like uh, uh, you know, Hikatini or something like that. It wouldn't or have just because either. they decided that, you know what, we're only going to keep 52. We don't even need yeah. that 53. Let's it's just, just in case. Just in Selleck. case. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, you've got a skill position upgrade and you've got a youth movement. There are 14 rookies 
on this initial 53-man roster. Uh, According to Eric Branch, of the 49ers' 53 players, and this is as of September 2nd anyway, uh, of the 49ers' 53 players, 37 of them are 26 or younger. So this is a team that is going younger. They know they're going younger. And the few aging bets that they have are either very, very good, should be good, or are, you know, kind of the the bridge free agents that you might see, like someone like a Garcon who is going to be really good for the next three years, but probably isn't going to be one of the star wide receivers when this team is thinking about making a playoff push. Yeah, it's again, those young players are going to have significant roles. I think really uh, the offensive line is maybe the one big spot that you point to where there's not really a young player, you know, like especially with Josh Garnett, obviously not being in the lineup and, and being on IR this year. Um, th- there's not a guy that you really point to there. I mean, I guess Trent Brown, I guess he's fairly, he's the most yeah. recent draftee, I guess of, of the starters uh, feels like he's been around a really long time at this point. So I guess I wasn't including him there, but yeah, I think it's uh, you know, you, you have youth at a lot of these positions um, and they're going to get snaps this year. They like they're going to have roles. This isn't going to be a case where there's a bunch of uh, young guys that are just on the bench, like waiting for their turn in a couple of years. And even some of the the quasi surprise, not even surprising moves, but the release of Quentin Dial, who was a player who's now playing for Green Bay. Um, I thought that was interesting, but it yeah. kind of makes sense. I mean, he does seem to fit more of the three four uh, defense a bit more than some of the other people like DJ Jones or Ronald Blair. And then you've got Ahmad Brooks, who you know it was. This is he's survived what we thought was his inevitable roster death for probably three years now. We Ahmad Brooks, the Ahmad Brooks situation for years. We just kept jumping off that. We were too early. Oh God. I was like, how are you going to make this like come around? But yeah, you did every, every year for like three years. We thought that he was going to be gone and it's finally happening. It's finally happening. It's finally happening. So, I mean, this team is definitely going with upside. There are upgrades across the skill positions. They are moving towards youth. And ultimately, that's that's the good kind of decision making that we want to see out of Shanahan and Lynch. So those are those are some of the roster thoughts just about the construction of the roster in general, since this is now post cut day and we've got our 53 settled. But the next segment that we're going to tackle is really the season preview. And this is going to be the meat of this week's episode. What do we think the season is going to hold for the San Francisco 49ers this year? Um, we're going to break it down a couple of uh, in two main sections. Why we think the 49ers could be better in 2017 than they were last year, and why we think they could be worse, or, or at the very least, just not better than they were last year. Uh, because of course they finished two and 14, so we think you know their floor. You, you, we're not going to predict an 0 and 16 season, right? They're not the Jets. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's all relative, right? Like so, it may not be uh necessary it's it's really difficult to be worse than two and 14 like uh in the win-loss record there's so, still time um yeah i mean who knows you might find a way but um yeah it's really like way you can almost phrase that that part of it is why they may not improve as much as a, a lot of people think or something like that so hit me with the first one david what, what's the first reason as to why it is that we think the 49ers could be better in 2017 um, so I think you can start, you know, a lot of times when we do this, if you've been listening to us for a long time, there there are a handful of different uh, statistical indicators that are really helpful for projecting performance. You know, last year, um, these were things that let us know that like, hey, they were probably a little bit lucky to be five and 11, you know, in the Jim Thomas Sewell season. They probably shouldn't have had that many wins. And there's a really strong chance that, you know, that's going to actually come down a little bit. And, you know, that's what we saw happen. So they they can, uh, you know, be useful in predicting what's going to happen. 
Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that think that maybe these aren't as, as uh, applicable to the 49ers this year because of the mass, massive roster turnover that we um, have seen happen. But in a lot of cases, they are, because when you're talking about two and 14 teams um, being really bad and then improving in following seasons and having that kind of historical data to back it up, a lot of the times, you know, part of that reason is because two and 14 teams tend to replace coaches and, and turn over a lot of their roster and replace players. And that helps lead to that improvement. So that's going to be something uh, that's there, but really even last year, right at two and 14, the, uh, two and 14, they were a better team than that record would lead you to believe. So um, really right off the top point differential, we talk about as a better predictor of future performance than the actual win loss record. Um, Pythagorean expectation is a way that basically transforms that point differential into a, an expected win total, what we would have expected them to win um, based on how many points they gave up and how many points they scored. Um, that told us that they should have won a, a little over four games. So 4.2 games was the exact total there. Um, teams that underperform that by is the, the, the difference that we saw there. So that's 2.2 game differential within the largest in the league. Um, those teams tend to almost always improve the following season. And uh, so that's, I think, the, the first place to start, really, when building that case to uh, as to why they're going to be better this season. And usually when you see those Pythagorean expectations not match up to the point differential, it's more often than not because of things like records in really close games or turnovers or something that is really dependent on luck. It, it, and we're not talking Andrew Luck here because, you know, <laughs> that's just that would be a terrible pun that we're that we would never make on this show. Uh, but uh, oftentimes your record in close games is is not going to be consistent from year to year. And it's because there's a lot of luck that goes into it. And the record in close games doesn't really carry over from year to year. Last year, the 49ers were 1-5 in, in games decided by a touchdown or less. There was a 7-point loss to Dallas, uh, a game in which we had a 3-point lead early in the third quarter, a 3-point loss to Arizona. We were tied with just under 2 minutes to go, and we allowed... Arizona to drive for a game-winning field goal, uh, a seven-point loss to Miami, which was one of the probably the most fun games last year, I think. Uh, one of the few. Yeah, yeah that, that was sure. a fun game to watch. Um, but we had two chances from the six-yard line to tie the game uh, in the final seconds, and Colin Kaepernick tried to run it in and instead got bent in half. Uh, that was, yeah. <laughs> it was I, a very awkward moment. For it was a very awkward moment. You had a six-point loss in overtime to the New York Jets, we had a 17-6 lead in the fourth quarter, a one-point win over the Rams, a uh, two-point conversion. Uh, like you, you see that like there's a lot of things, and a two-point loss to Seattle. There's a lot of things that had to break our way and not our way in order to, to even get to that 2-14 and 14 record. And usually you have a, re a regression back to average in close games. So if we were to have six close games next year, chances are we're probably going to be more towards that 3-3, three and 4-2 three, and two, one way or the other. And that's going to give you an extra win or two bump when you're looking at the overall record. Definitely. And when you outline, you know, again, you saw how close they were in a lot of those games. Right. And, and a lot of times we're talking about um, one or two plays just going a little bit differently to change the outcome and swing the outcome. And so even though that has kind of this outsized effect on the win loss record, it's not really a, a very good practice to put a lot of stock into those one or two plays when judging the overall performance. Right. If you if you have an offense that's on the field. Uh, for 65 plays and you're judging them solely based on what happened in the final two. You know, that, that's not really telling you what uh, we can really expect going forward. If they were really good 
uh, for those first 63 plays and then just had something really bad happen those last two, right? The 63 should hold more weight on that, essentially, is what that comes down to. So, uh, yeah, I think it's funny to think about what last season would have looked like if all of a sudden you flipped that, right? What if they went five and one in those close games and managed to pull them out? God, that they'd uh, be seven and nine. Uh, no, that would make oh, no, them, two of the, that would give two them of the wins. three win bump. Yeah, because one um, of the wins that that two point. Yeah, because one win that was against the Rams already happened. Uh, and then I think that was the only win that yeah. would have been, you know, that would have been. So you're issue. talking about a so they'd be six and ten. Essentially, yeah. uh, oh, if, if that if those results flipped, right, just uh, the, the outcome at the end of those games, because does I, Chip I, Kelly keep his job at six and ten? Probably. Right. I think so. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it's. Yeah, it's it's, it's a weird kind of alternate reality. The alternate about. universe. Um, it could have been. Yeah. It, and it's uh, that's how close things are in, in the NFL in a lot of cases. So I think you start there right there. They're likely to improve in those situations, even if, again, I, I think the 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 reality that. There's a different coaching staff, a lot of different players, all that stuff doesn't really come into play. Like that's part of why they they should kind of bounce back to average, right? It, it all fits into that same conversation. So they should be a little bit better there, which should help them add, uh, you know, at least another win or two to their record. Um, you know, we talked again about last year, one of the points when we were doing the same sort of thing, why they wouldn't be or why they would be worse last year. We talked about how they basically brought back the entire roster, right? The, the, the argument that you were making last year, if you wanted the 49ers to be better was that we were going to take the same roster with a new coaching staff. And we were just going to hope that all of these young players developed. Right. And it was like living on a prayer. Uh, buddy. Yeah, it was a lot to ask. And, and so now I think you're, they didn't do that. They didn't keep the same guys. You know, it's a new coaching staff again, but we have a, a vastly different roster. So I think that's something that uh, can only help. Right. Uh, especially when you look at the skill positions, I think that's a key area they had, uh, really the worst group of pass targets by PFF grading last year uh, in the league. So it's it's going to be very hard to uh, be worse than that, right? They can only go up. So I think you get a little bit of improvement there. Um, hopefully you get a little bit better quarterback play, and then your offense is suddenly uh, not one of the worst in football and, you know, is, is approaching competence there. So that's going to help. Um, and then health. Health, I think, is, you know, health is always key, but they've really struggled uh staying healthy for the past couple seasons. Um, you look at adjusted games loss, which is football outsiders metric. Um, it basically, it's just counting up the number of games, uh, that they lost due to injury, but it's, it's giving a little bit more weight to those with uh, better roles, right. Or a higher role. So starters count more than backup players do essentially. Uh, they were 24th, 24th, most, uh, adjusted games lost last year after being 27th in 2015. So this is back to back seasons now that they've been, uh, really struggling on the injury front. Last year, it was a defense that was hit especially hard. They were 28th, uh, excuse me, 26th um, in defense-adjusted games lost. So uh, that's going to be a big area because defense is is a spot where they have kept a lot of the same players. You know, there's not as many new faces on defense, um, and they really are still kind of relying on the development of some of these draft picks from the last few years. So it's going to be really important that those guys stay healthy if they're going to be better this year. So you've got a team that was a little better than two and fourteen indicates last year based on their point differential, and so if you if you kind of even out the the close games and you think they're probably going to be maybe about league average in close games, maybe three and three, two and two, or however many they've got, then you're already getting a win bump. We talked already about the roster and how we've overhauled a large portion of the roster. I think you know we mentioned it earlier, but forty one point five percent of the team is what's left from last year, which is exactly what you need and. The offense was really, you know, in many ways, I mean, look, 
run defense held the team back, offense held the team back, everything held the team back. <laughs> but that's why you need more players because talent win, wins games in the NFL. And, and then you've got improved health, which generally teams that can make deep runs are ones that are healthy or have the depth to overcome that health like because they've got a rookie waiting in the, in the wings or something like that. But then the last, or not the last, but one of the other bits is, is again, something else that goes to chance, and that's an improved turnover differential. We were minus five in, turno- in turnover differential, 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 I don't even know what the hell that is, but differential last year, which was tied for 24th. And there were really two driving factors for that. One was fumbles lost on offense. Almost 6% of our drives ended with a fumble, and that was the 27th highest rate. The, of 29 fumbles, we lost 15 of them. Both of them were highest in the league. Uh, that recovery rate, 48.3%, was ninth worst. So the, the, and, and if you've listened to us before, you know that fumble luck is a big deal. You, there is very little that can be predicted about the way that a football bounces and spins and who recovers it. Usually you have higher kind of recovery rates with like a center quarterback exchange because it's just a lot of your people around. But there is luck that is involved in recovering fumbles. And when you're going to fumble the ball at the, at, you know, the league's highest rate, which is 29 fumbles, then you know, you, you're just giving the defense more opportunities to recover. So even if you just kind of get to you know, a little better, you get one or two fumbles back. All of a sudden, you, maybe you swing one of those close games or something like that, and, and you can get another win in, in, the, in the win column. So you know, that, that fumble luck can definitely swing a couple games on a season, and all of a sudden, you're no longer at 2-14, and 14, you're at 4-12. and 12. Right, and the funny thing with the fumble rate, too, especially on offense, right? So those were the, the offensive numbers, the 29 fumbles, the 15 recoveries. Um, in 2015, they had one of the highest uh, recovery rates on offense. So they recovered something like, I think it was like 12 of uh, their own fumbles of, of like 15 total. Um, so they had one of the highest recovery rates there, and then they kind of swung the opposite direction uh, you know, quite a bit. I mean, the, the recovery rate in and of itself, you know, was pretty close to 50%, which is, is what you would expect most of the time, but it was really just that the number of fumbles, high volume. Yeah. Of, of having 29 fumbles. So you would expect that, uh, to again, come down a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're buying your offense an extra few possessions here and there. Uh, and that's really going to help. And then the other part of that, 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 uh, from a turnover, turnover differential standpoint that would really help them, uh, is finding a way to to increase their interception rate on defense. So that was something that was, again, really low. Um, they only had 10 total interceptions last year, uh, and they were only able to end about 5% of opposing drives in an interception, which was the 28th lowest rate uh, in football. So those were kind of the two things that really stuck out from a turnover standpoint where they ranked really, really lowly, uh, and you would expect that to kind of bounce back a little bit. And if they can get that to swing, you know, even if it doesn't swing, all the way positive, right? If they just get back to zero or, or maybe just creep over that line a little bit. Again, those are extra possessions that you're giving for your offense, more chances to score, uh, which are all good things to help you win football games. So a lot of things went wrong for the 49ers last year. They didn't really swing the turnover differential a lot, which if you remember in that in that kind of worst to first, and they weren't really worst, but in, in Jim Harbaugh's first year, when they did make that big leap, obviously their roster was quite a bit more talented, but they had one of the best turnover differentials in the NFL. Like NFL history. Yeah. Like it was in, they were was like, like plus it, 24, plus 28 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, it was, was absurd. It was ridiculous. Um, and, and you've got improved health. The 49ers that year were also very healthy. It, it just, you know, those, those types of things are beginning to get floated around by some of the beat writers. It's like, oh, 
you know, we don't expect there to be as big of a leap as there was from Singletary to Harbaugh, but it, this feels like that same kind of thing. And, and I don't, in no way, shape or form do I think the Niners are going to be in playoff contention, but I do think that they are going to be probably a little better than two and 14. And it's going to be just because of a getting back to normal for close games, turnovers, hopefully injuries. Um, and then you get the little bit of the Shanahan boost and a talent infusion. And that's how you get from two wins to right now. The over under, I think, is, is set at like five. Um, and, and I mean, three to, you know, three to five wins is not an insignificant amount in the NFL. No, I mean, that would be uh, that would definitely be a big improvement. And I think that's a reasonable improvement to expect. And um, it is tough. So if, if we kind of switch gears and, and look to why they would potentially be worse, right, or, or really why they just maybe not be that much better. Um, it's, it is hard to come up with arguments for, for that kind of side of thing. Right. Um, I, I think when you're two and 14 and you have, uh, you know, a lot of things, you don't really get any breaks, right. When you're two and 14, it's, it's, you're just not having things go your way. A lot of things have to go wrong in order for that to happen. Um, and so it is a lot of things as we just went over that, uh, don't tend to stick from season to season. So if you expect some of those things to bounce back, um, even if the 49ers are not good this year, which I think is kind of where we fall on things, um, they're, they're, they're almost certainly going to be better. So why would they not be, you know, uh, drastically better or, or as good as I think, you know, they're starting to see some predictions now that we're, we're narrowing in on week one here. And, uh, you know, there's like flirting with eight and eight, there's like maybe making playoff run stuff that I've seen. Uh, and I think that that's getting a little carried away. And I think the biggest reason is, even though we have seen, you know, this massive roster overhaul and uh, have added some talent, I think, to this roster, it's still not there. Like, it's still not a, a, an overall talented roster, and it's still very young and unproven. I mean, you look offensively, we've basically gone from, oh, my God, this is just shockingly bad offense uh, in terms of personnel. I mean, again, one of the worst, if not the single worst group of skill position players in the league last year, an offensive line that wasn't much better. Um, it, it was just really, really horrendous, the talent level that they had offensively. And now it's just like, okay, there are players that belong in the NFL on this roster. So that's a good first step. That's that's the threshold we're going uh, That's the threshold. We have a... We have a receiver that has done things before, and Pierre goes, I know his name, so that is a, he's caught passes in this league. That's a good next step. Um, you know, but there, there's still a lot of question marks, right? The offensive line, as we've talked about, just uh, ad nauseum throughout the, the entire preseason, um, it's bad. It's still really bad. Um, it's almost certainly going to continue to be really bad. Um, that's going to be a problem that they just have to address next year. Um, skill position better uh, players are, again are better, but they're still very unproven. After Garcon, the, the wide receiver depth chart is guys that have never done anything before in this league. Like there's still no guarantee that any of these players, even though we really like them and things are really positive right now uh, in the preseason, there's no guarantee that any of those players are going to do anything this year. Um, and then Brian Hoyer is the quarterback of this team. So that's still another thing that like, is there and uh it, it's it's offensively gonna still be a challenge even if it's better and so when you switch to the other side of the ball you think to yourself okay we've got a lot of pieces on defense but you if the Niners are going to be worse in 2017 or just not better two or three wins then maybe this has something to do with a defensive staff that's trying that just can't develop the young players that are on the roster right now you look at something like the Eric Armstead at Leo experiment 
that seems to be abating. It seems to be like Solomon Thomas, at least in the third preseason game, was playing the weak side defensive end and Eric Armstead was playing the big end or the strong side defensive end. But what if this team all of a sudden week one decides, yeah, like Eric Armstead's our Leo on downs one and two and Solomon Thomas doesn't play unless it's in, you know, obvious passing downs or sub packages and he just doesn't get the snaps to develop into the kind of player that we think he can be or DeForest Buckner doesn't take the next step and can't really transition that three technique like we thought he could. There are there are still a lot of gambles when it comes to this defense where you think to yourself, yeah, we we used to be able to develop defensive linemen because we had a fantastic defensive line coach. And Jeff Zagonia, I'm sure, comes well regarded, but who knows what he's actually going to be able to do with this crop of young defensive linemen. And that goes across the board. You look at Jeff Halfley at the defensive back position. We've got a lot of really, really young defensive backs in a brand new scheme. And if this coaching staff is going to make decisions like putting Eric Armstead at Leo, you begin to wonder whether or not they're going to be able to fully develop that talent into the type of, of players that we would need in order to have this defense even get to league average. Um, and that's going to be a problem because it doesn't matter how much of an offensive genius Kyle Shanahan is. If you have the offensive line that we do and you're down 17 points, the things are not going to be pretty and Brian Hoyer will die. <laughs> we, we make no promises for the safety of Brian Hoyer. We've predicted, um, we've predicted one quarterback death for two years on this podcast, and that was Carson Palmer. Um, and that, unfortunately, almost came true. Carson Palmer yeah. almost died. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was the Rams that did it. I mean, yeah. Aaron Donald is not... like. I mean, I, I hope he holds... I don't know, when, when's the first Rams game? It's like in September, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, he's, he's, a, he, he's, he's playing ping pong with his shirt off somewhere. Stay at home, my man. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be in any rush. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a really good question because um, when you look at this uh, defensive coaching staff, right, I think it's very easy in the offseason to get caught up in. And, and, and it's not that we don't like him, right? We both really like Robert Sala. Like, we, we think that he's a smart guy. I hope that he's awesome. Did um, you read his profile about, like, his chess playing? Uh, I think Matt Barrows or Eric Branch no. did a profile on Robert Sala and talked about how he played chess with his brother and how he his his chess rating is like just below grandmaster level. What? Yeah. And he and and he apparently just like just completely dunks on fools when it comes to chess. And to the point where his brother his his brother they they play online now and they like they take their time to make moves because Sala thinks like through everything apparently. Yeah. Um and and his brother started plugging his moves into a computer program that was set to the grandmaster level. So finally his brother was like, oh, I beat you. Must have had a good game. And then he beat him like three or four times in a row. And Sala was like, all right, what the hell's going on? And he's like, <laughs> I'm using the computer to beat you because I can't myself anymore. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I mean, he's he's awesome, right? Like I, I, I very much hope that he's incredibly successful and that he uh, is a good defensive coordinator for the 49ers for a long time. But he's still a new defensive coordinator right he's never done this before and and it's still an unknown uh and as we've learned you know as we've tried to preach i think over the last couple years even when there are unknowns that you that you like right and that you think will turn out positively like we've been uh you know on with this defensive line right and armstead and buckner i think is a prime example of that uh in, in terms of very high on them but we still don't know right until it happens until they sustain that success over a long enough stretch to to kind of justify that being the expectation 
then we can't really have that as the expectation. And so I think there's still definitely very much a scenario where Robert Solids and, and this defensive staff just ends up not being very good and they can't develop this young talent that they have, um, you know, on defense that everybody wants to succeed so much. So uh, again, I'm not saying that's the most likely outcome or layout for this team and would be a big reason why uh, they would not take any sort of step forward this season. And then you've got the question of depth when it comes to the roster. When you think of any injuries that happen to things like Brian Hoyer, which it's not, it's not a sure thing that he's going to play all 16 games. Now all of a sudden you got good old beat hard playing quarterback. I ain't ready for beat hard. In, I don't in think week. I, I'm not ready for beat hard in October. That's think, too early to be beaten that hard. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ready for Beathard that early. But let's say that Pierre Garcon gets injured. Now you're staring yeah. down the barrel of a Marquise Goodwin and Aldrick Robinson starting wide receiver group. Um, and that's, you know, not that Aldrick Robinson is terrible, but I, I don't know that he's necessarily the guy you want to lean on for a full game. These guys are, I mean, and they're, they're kind of cast offs and they're journeyman guys for a reason. Right. And like, hopefully they find, you know, every once in a while you see those guys find the, the, the perfect role for them. Right. They settle in the Taylor Gabriel from last year with the, the Falcons. Right. They find a, a system that, that works for them. They, they're surrounded by players, uh, that kind of highlight what they do well and allow them to succeed. And it all works out well, but that's not the norm, right? These guys have bounced around from team to team because they haven't been able to consistently produce. And so if all of a sudden, yeah, Garcon's on like shit, what and, happens now? And we're already seeing it with Jimmy Ward. I mean, Jimmy Ward is, and, and what's funny is before the pot, before the preseason, you know, we were talking about Jimmy Ward and injuries. And when he got injured, it was like, are you worried? And I remember you were just like, nah, dude, if he, like, as long as he doesn't miss the third preseason game, we're fine. And here we are. And he's not going to, yeah. he's not going to play week one. He's, I, I don't think I mean, he he's probably not. Um, um, and now you've got like Lorenzo Jerome, undrafted rookie, or Jaquaski Tart, who again moved to the new scheme. Also not in love with that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, and, and, and that is the thing that makes this defense go. I am not looking forward to Cam Newton just dropping dimes to whomever he wants to because they're running four verts over and over and over again, and Cam Newton is just really accurate when it comes to the deep ball. Like, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it could yeah. be a problem. Uh, it, it could definitely be a problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, depth is just, I mean, it's non-existent. Uh, you know, D-line is maybe the one position that you would say approaches depth. Uh, you, you, you think about it there, but even then, like, they're they're deep in a way that they have players behind the starters that that you like for uh, being situational or role players, right? They're not guys that you necessarily feel comfortable inserting into like a full time role, right? Where they're having to play the majority of the snaps all of a sudden. Like uh, th- there's still and question even then marks. the nose tackle. Like who's the who the hell's Earl, Earl Mitchell's backup at this point, right? Like we, we're makes, signing people. Yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's DJ Jones, but that you know, sixth round pick. You don't know what you're getting there. Again, another player that you know, some are high yeah. on, but it's six round pick. You don't really know. Um, and, and unproven. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's a, there, there's a lot of concern in that regard. We're right? on like a tenuous house of cards is what we're trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Even in the areas that you feel pretty good about, right. That, that you feel are improved from last year. Those are one injury away from just going back to being horrible and injuries happen, right? Even if you expect the health to be overall better, like they're they're gonna have injuries. They're gonna have guys that miss yeah. time. They're gonna have important guys that miss time. That's just life in the NFL. So uh, when that inevitably happens, uh, it's a problem. Like they don't have guys that can really step in and and be able to produce. 
And then lastly, on, on offense, it does take time for Kyle Shanahan's system to really take hold with the team. You look at Atlanta the year before they went to the Super Bowl, and they were not a sexy Super Bowl pick. Nobody was staring at Atlanta going, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a team I think is going to go, you know, blow it in the Super Bowl. I was listening to the Ringer podcast recently, and uh, Robert Mays was talking about how last year entering the season when he was doing his power rankings, um, Atlanta was like the 25th team. Yeah, because like, weren't they like 6 and 10 in 2015? Yeah, they, they were pretty bad. Uh, I don't remember their exact record, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't great. They, and they, they, had, and they still had Matt Ryan, they had Julio Jones, they had yep. Kyle Shanahan. And it wasn't that they had bad players necessarily. It was just that Shanahan's system is, by all accounts, complicated. There's a lot of there's a lot of verbose play calls. There's you know he's a pretty exacting coordinator when it comes to the offense, and that takes a lot of time for players to adjust to, assimilate to, and learn. And yes, players like Hoyer and Garcon have been in the system before, but you're still dealing with both an offensive change and a defensive change and a culture change and a rookie head coach. And there's a lot of things, and there's a lot of variables in there that can go wrong. Like, let's say he's a great offensive coordinator and a great head coach, but, um, you know, let's say that the, the culture doesn't stick or he's a bad game manager, you know, and all of a sudden you, you start losing some, some, some things there. Let's say the offense doesn't stick. Those are the kinds of things that, that are all up in the air right now. And that's not to say that if that happens in year one, things can't all turn around in year two as he gets a year of experience under his belt. But it's usually not the case that you get a, a new head coach in a situation like this that's going to succeed right away. Even Bill Walsh had a really shitty year his first year, and he is one of the best head coaches of all time. And so you can't always just expect these Jim Harbaugh kind of worst of first turnarounds because there's a lot of things that are at play, and there's a lot of variables. And, and that's why, you know, for all intents and purposes, the Niners could stay the same around, you know, two or three wins. Um, and so, you know, that's that's kind of the, the optimist take and the pessimist take. You know, if, if you're the optimist, you're thinking, well, statistically, we're going to get back to average on a couple of things. And if that's the case and we were a little better last year than, you know, we were in terms of games because of close wins, you, you all of a sudden have that built in bump to, you know, four, five, six wins if you've got that Shanahan bump, too. And then you look on the other side and it's like, well, it's still a pretty young and sometimes terrible roster. Uh, and we're on a house of cards when it comes to injuries it's a brand new rookie head coach and it takes time for those things to sink in. You could still see, you know, three, four wins. So the ultimate question then, and, and we'll move into predictions here is, is ultimately the over under Bovada's over under for the 49ers is at five wins. So David, are you predicting over or under five wins with five wins being the push? I know that's why they put the numbers the way that they do, but God, I, I wanted to until I so I was just looking this up pre-show and like I already I had already put together most of the notes and like had ideas on on what I wanted to go with and then I thought it was five and I was going to go with five wins and now I feel like I I can't that's why I was I happier with five and a half because right, five could have been five and a half or four and a half right give me give me a half in there give me my half game don't make this tough like don't be get, don't give me the ability to push um, so I don't know I I think in that case. You know, is it more likely that they have four wins or six wins? Ah, uh, I think I'm going to go four, uh, and I think it ultimately comes down to schedule. I think the schedule is pretty tough. Uh, I think it's hard to pick out six wins. Um, again, I think I think I mean really five. Like if you want, I don't know if that's too much of a cop out. Five wins is like five and eleven is where I think I, I expect them to be. Um, if I have to pick an over under here, I'm going four. 
Um, because I think it's going to be tough to get wins. I could see a scenario where they start out really, really poorly um, and are, are kind of struggling the last that last month gets a lot better. They have in December, they play Chicago, uh, Jacksonville and the Rams uh, all in that final stretch there. So I think you could see them pick up a couple wins and kind of finish the season strong and people feel really good heading into next year, all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's, it's kind of a rough stretch over the first half of the season there before the bye week, especially. Um, and, and so I, I just think there's a lot of things that would have to go right for this team. They would have to stay incredibly healthy. Um, they'd have to get, I think probably a career year out of Brian Hoyer. Um, you'd have to really see this defense take a step forward, which I don't, you know, I think I, I do expect them to get better. They were 28th in DVOA last year, uh, obviously 32nd against the run. I, I would expect them to move more toward the middle of the pack. I'm still concerned about their uh, ability to get pressure off the edge, and I'm still concerned a little bit about the cornerbacks uh, for this season, even if I, I feel a little bit better about that long term. Um, so, yeah, I think there's still a lot of problems there uh, that aren't going to get corrected, but it's going to feel better. I think the games are probably more competitive um, you know, than they, they were even a season ago. Um, so, yeah, I think that's where I land. Four or five wins is, uh, seems like kind of the right window to me. Yeah, four, four, five, and six. I think is the area that we're gonna play in. I think, I think yeah. that that's that's kind of the range. And like four, five, or six wins. Um, I, I do hate Bovada for putting it right at five because that's stupid. Um, but I, if if this were me, I would. There are probably better odds on the over than there are on the under. And so that's where I, I'm gonna take a slightly different approach and say, even though I do think that you're absolutely right, five wins is probably where we will live. I'd I'd be more comfortable betting on the over because it'd probably return a bit more. And if I do think that four, five, and six is is going to be kind of the the area, I say you know what, let me just try and maximize my dollars. Let's vote on six wins. Let's be the optimist today. I wish I still had it up. I, I don't remember which one had better odds, but yeah, I I don't know. It's it's tough. I think again, that's the sweet spot. I I think the the bigger takeaway there, right, is is that I think looking and expecting this team to get to seven, eight wins, nine wins. Uh, is is a overly lot, optimistic. A lot would have to go right. Um, yeah, I mean they they would have to have just pristine health. Um, you're you're talking about uh, just some historic turnover luck, you know that that just really bounces things their direction. Um, it, it would just be like the absolute best case best case scenario beyond what I'm willing even to consider as a best case scenario. I think to, yeah. to really get there this year, like I, I think the it's okay to be, to feel positive about the long-term, you know, uh, movement for this franchise and, and the path that they're on there to, to be competitive and to be a good team here in two, three years, and also understand that they're not there yet and that there's still a lot yeah. of work to do and that this year uh, is still going to have some growing pains for sure. So let's get to some quick hits about the rest of the year then, and we'll talk about predictions as we go through, and we'll go through these pretty quickly before we get to what we're going to watch for against Carolina. So... David, there are team awards that get doled out at the end of the year, and the team MVP is the Bill Walsh Award. So who do you think is going to be this year's Bill Walsh Award winner for the team MVP? So we had, I, I think, even mentioned before at some point that I thought DeForest, DeForest Buckner was going to be the best player on yeah. the team. Um, and I, I don't necessarily think that he's going to be... like I, My opinion hasn't necessarily changed on DeForest Buckner. I think I'm going to go Eric Reed though. I think barring any sort of injury for him... Uh, he's just really set up to have a big year. I think he's in, in, you know, his best scheme fit since maybe early on. I think, you know, what he did with, with Fangio and stuff was, it was another way that uh, really highlights what he does well. But 
I just think that, yeah, he's going to be in a position to, to make plays and to really uh, highlight his best attributes. So I think he could have a really big year um, and, and just kind of stand out among this defense that's still largely, again, young players uh, that, that are still trying to develop. So you absolutely stole mine. And because you, <laughs> because you stole mine, I'm going to go with someone else. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead, and it's probably between Carlos Hyde and this person, but I'm going to go ahead and say Brian Hoyer. I would say that he's going to be the team MVP because I thought to my head, I thought in my head, oh, it could be Garcon. But if it's Garcon, then that means Brian Hoyer had a decent year. And I think if that's the case, then he probably dealt around to other wide receivers as well. And so I think he ends up being the team MVP. Doesn't mean he's going to have a great year. It just means that you took Eric Reed and I had to pick someone else. (laughs) Uh, All right. So who do you think is going to be the offensive player of the year? Uh, This one's tough because, uh, again, the offense is not not so great. You're not going to go with Matt Um, Breida? I want to. I want to Do it. so bad. Put it in the bank. Um, oh God, I don't know. I, I think as much as I love Brita and Kittle, it's just hard. I, I can see it for Brita more easily than I can see it for Kittle, uh, just because it's harder for, I think, a tight end in year one. Also in this offense, like even though tight ends are uh, important, they're not in a position to put up big like numbers or anything, right? Lightning round. Uh, crap. Um I will go Carlos Hyde. I'm, I'm going to go Carlos Hyde stays, finds a way to stay healthy for the majority of the season uh, and, and does well. I'm hating that I have you going first on all these because you stole mine again. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say, just for the shits and giggles of it, Joe Staley. Because uh, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good one. He will yeah, probably uh, be the best offensive one. player. Probably. <laughs> all right, defensive player of the year. Go. Uh, so if I can't do Eric Reed, I won't nope. double up on you that. Can't, you can't um, double up on Reed. Here I'm going to go back to DeForest Buckner. I, I still think that, again, Buckner is going to be good. He fits well with what they're going to be asking him to do. Uh, and I think he's an incredibly, incredibly talented player and uh, is going to be really good for a while. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and pick Solomon Thomas uh, here just because of the next category which is the best rookie overall. Uh, and I don't even care that you're going to take my I mean, because this one's, a pretty clear right? Is there, is there any other answer? I mean, it's going to be Ruben Foster. I think it's that's gonna be, pretty clear. I think so. I think Ruben Foster is going to be a candidate for defensive rookie of the year. Because don't they do now rookies for offense and defense? It's not just rookie of the year. Yeah, definitely. And, and he's, uh, I mean, especially for those awards, like they rely heavily, like tackle numbers, right? Yeah, any exactly. sort of like box score numbers that you can put yeah. up. Uh, are going to be very beneficial. I and mean, with Miles Garrett being now apparently injured, he might miss a week or a month. Uh, he apparently tweaked an ankle, so he's yeah, he's he's questionable for week one. And Miles Garrett was going to be the consensus, I oh, think. Man. You know, kind of rookie he of the year. Good this preseason. He looked too. really, really looked good. But really, good. but if he misses a month and Reuben Foster gets you know a couple of picks over the course of the year and he ends up with like 120 tackles, which is entirely possible. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When you play on a team that's not going to be very good, like yeah. your defense is on the field more, there's more opportunity for tackles, and I you're going to have to a lot. I think legit, Ruben Foster is in consideration for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Absolutely. Yeah. And he also, like the other thing that's really helpful for those type of awards is having any sort of like splash plays, right? Memorable plays, big hits, like uh, anything like that. And, and I think there's have almost, yeah, no way that he doesn't pile up a few of those. By All right, the season. quickly, because we've got like four more to get to. More carries, Carlos Hyder, Matt Breida. Go. Uh, this goes completely against what I was just saying with Carlos Hyde for offensive play of the year, so maybe I should switch that one. I think that Breida's going to end up with more carries by, uh, by season end. Okay, I still think it's going to be Hyde. Uh, more touchdowns, Pierre Garcon or Marquise Goodwin? 
Uh, I'm going to go Garcon still. I yeah, I'm going to go Garcon one. as well yeah. because I think uh, if Goodwin scores, it's going to be an explosive place. Over, under on the number of games missed by Brian Hoyer. So really quick, is this uh, missed due to injury or just doesn't play in? in general? Uh, games missed, we'll say. Games missed. Yes, correct. Uh, I am going to say... Uh, the, by the, the over, under line is set at two, by the way. Does he, is, does yeah. he miss more or less than two? Over. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that he, you know, I'm going to go against everything we've said before in the past about in, about health being a skill. And I'm going to say he's going to get back to, to league average for a quarterback, which is playing all 16 games. So I'm going to bet the uh, the under. He's going to miss is less. Is that league games. average for a quarterback? I don't know. That's true. I, I think quarterbacks uh, don't miss a lot. Starting quarterbacks, by and large. I mean, uh, the good ones don't. Yeah. But... <laughs> The other yeah. one's not so much. I'm just I'm I'm hitching I'm hitching my bandwagon to this Brian Hoyer. That bald beauty is gonna throw at least twelve touchdowns. Uh, over under on the number of TD receptions for Marquise Goodwin that are more than twenty yards. So explosive. Wait, not touchdowns. TD. No, oh, we're no, not not oh, TD. Total, just total, total receptions. receptions? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so total receptions of more than twenty yards for Marquise Goodwin. Uh, the the line is set at eight. Last year the leader had seventeen. Uh, and that was T.Y. Hilton, and 11 players had explosive plays, 20-plus yards, that were in double digits. So the line for Marquise Goodwin is set at 8. Is it over or under? I'm going under. Yeah, I'm going under as well. I'm yeah, kidding. it's just like, I, I think it happens uh, maybe a handful of times over the course of the season. Um, I, I think it happens like maybe five or six times, Yeah, and that's still a and lot. There might even be, you know, what's... Kind of funny. I, I could see him dropping an additional like one or two more that maybe would have got him eight, but he just couldn't pull in because his hands aren't that good. Who leads the team in interceptions? Go. Uh, not a cornerback. If it God, if Jimmy Ward was healthy, I would say Jimmy Ward uh, without even thinking twice about it. I think I might go for a linebacker. I'm not going to go Ruben Foster. I'm going to go Navarro Bowman. Interesting. Uh, I'm actually going to go. I Eric. don't know why. I'm, I'm going to go Eric Reed. I'm going to say Eric Reed uh, ends up bad. with like four picks. So not like not it's not going to be like a seven or eight pick year, but I think he gets like four picks. And I think Ruben Foster gets like three. <laughs> and, yeah, and, the Ruben Foster interception things uh, is is interesting. Yeah. yeah. All right. So your your dude, Akella Witherspoon, you were super high on him pre-draft. Uh, and he is not a starter, but still definitely on the roster and definitely will play some snaps because you got to play all of your corners at some point uh, based on today's NFL. So over under on number of games started for Akello Witherspoon. The line is at five. Do you think Akello starts five uh, five games on the dot? Over five, uh, under five. Five is well, five was pretty tough. Um, I uh, I think I'll lean over. Um, I think whether that's due to injury or play or or, or what have you. But I, I think he's a player. I mean, you heard John Lynch talk about you know he's he's someone that they think is going to be very good and, and they seem to be high on as well. So. Um, yeah, I, I, I think by the, it's not going to happen right away. I think they almost all happen in the second half of the season, but I think they, they do get there. I'm going to go under on this one. I think unless there is an injury, I don't think Johnson or Robinson uh, are going to come off the field. Uh, and, and so then, and, and I think to be clear here, we're talking about starting outside corners. We're not talking like. I mean, a team starts of, in like a four yeah. wide set. And so Witherspoon comes in and plays. Yeah. None of, none of these guys are going to be starting the slaughter. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get to sacks and this is going to be the last kind of bubble of questions last year for some context, the 49ers had 33 sacks that tied them for 19th in the league. Uh, the team leaders were DeForest Buckner and Ahmad Brooks with six, which Buckner had six sacks on a thousand snaps, which is stupid. 
but whatever. Uh, and then uh, no one else on the team had more than three. So who do you think is going to be the team leader this year in sacks? David, go. I'm going to go DeForest Buckner. I'm going to go Elvis, Elvis Dumerville. I mean, that's fair. I, I think um, the thing with Dumerville that worries me why I didn't go with him is one, like, age and therefore health and, and availability uh, is is a little bit of a concern. Um, and so I think that's ultimately why. And I just think that Buckner will, will take a step forward. I think if he can get to, um, you know, if he can build on that and get to, like, eight sacks and, and start to flirt with double digits a little bit, um, that that's going to be more than enough to, to lead the team. And then the, the over under on the overall number of sacks for the team. Uh, last year, of course we had 33 league average was 35. So do you think that the 49ers will have as a team over or under 35 sacks? Ah, um, <laughs> I don't, over i guess i mean it's two sacks yeah it's two sacks but i don't think that they're gonna be i I think it's gonna be close i don't think that they're gonna be that much better from a production like pressure standpoint um but i but i think it's a little bit better i think i'm gonna go with over as well the thing that has me worried is that i because they won't be in a ton of games where the offense has to pass Yes. There just won't be opportunities to get that many sacks. Because if we're predicting five wins, you know, and let's say that, you know, there are, let's say out of the 16 games, six of the games are, and even I think six of the games being close is a stretch. Let's say five of the games are close. You're talking about 10 games that aren't close one way or the other. And by and large, if we're winning, it's probably going to be close. <laughs> So <laughs> yeah, we're not blowing anybody out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so so I think that you're then looking at you know ten games basically where we're gonna be out of it in the third, you know, late in the third and and maybe the fourth quarter. So that I mean that's just not a lot of opportunities to get sacks. It just isn't. So you know the optimist in me is saying over, but if it is, it's probably gonna be like thirty six or thirty seven sacks. I want to look really quick and see what they were as a team on adjusted sack rate, and if we turned it into more of a a percentage a competitive season well yeah. maybe maybe we'll tweet that out later because we've got yeah. to get to what we're to, what we're watching against carolina so the because you know the, this isn't going to be a, a huge preview show and even throughout the year we're not going to do a ton of preview we're probably going to focus more on the breakdown but this is still the first game and it is going to be fun to watch this first game especially because we're watching carolina and i really really enjoy watching carolina on tape so we're going to just run through maybe four things that we're going to watch over the course of this game and, and the first one for me really is because I love Christian McCaffrey. We talked about him during the draft process. I love the dude. I think he went to a perfect scheme fit in Carolina. And and he's got his own playbook, apparently. <laughs> Did you see that? Yeah, I mean, that alone, I, I have That's stupid. Someone, concerns. Someone, uh, someone need, they probably meant like a package of plays. But that's going to be the first thing I'm going to watch is Christian McCaffrey and specifically the battle against Reuben Foster. Because Reuben Foster is capable of covering him maybe uh and and is definitely going to be a good matchup i think uh because he's a weak side linebacker he's going to get a lot of the coverage responsibilities against the running back so i'm going to be super interested to watch that battle of, of two rookies mccaffrey versus foster yeah i mean i think that's going to be a lot of fun for sure I, I think just seeing how they match up athletically and seeing how foster can handle him in space and and even in the opportunities where they meet up in the run game right where he's able to kind of fill and 
uh, you know, is McCaffrey able to make him miss and, and get out in space or, or how all that stuff plays out, I think is going to be interesting. I think, yeah, I'm interested definitely to see how they use McCaffrey. Like, I don't, I'm not as, uh, is, is high that like, I think he went to a great situation, uh, in theory. I'm not as, uh, sold on his coaching staff, knowing exactly how to best utilize him. If he, um, if he so, legit has his own playbook, like think about how absurd that is. If you have, I mean, there's your, no way that's a real thing. There's, you, I, I, there's if no you way. have your own playbook, that means no one else, like th- there's no one else know the play call is like McCaffrey going to be like, hold on guys. I got this. Like hold my beer. Like no direct snap to McCaffrey. Everybody turn and watch. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's going to be an ISO. He's just going to be like LeBron James and wave everyone off. Yeah, one on eleven. Uh, I'm sure that'll work out well. Yeah, I mean, so it's. I, I hope it works out for the best. I mean, in this game, not as much, but I mean, like in general, I hope it it works out well and that they figure out uh, how to best utilize him. But yeah, I think uh, it's it's interesting just to see you know with with all these rookies, with any of the new players, right, new places uh, in general. Uh, you like to see like how does that how do they look with their new team right how do they look in these new situations and I think that's definitely uh, a matchup and a player in particular that's going to be really fun to watch. Well, yeah, don't you remember the wasn't it the Patrick Willis Adrian Peterson uh, comparisons? No. Remember those when because they got drafted the same. I remember year. who got the better of that. We too. did, we did yeah. indeed. We held Adrian Peterson to to very very little because Patrick Willis was just an absolute beast. And and so that's the kind of I think that's the kind of thing I'm looking forward to this. Uh, yeah, it's this like game. a more modern version of that, right? Yeah. Instead of like the old school running back. I mean, yeah. and Willis, not that Willis couldn't cover anything, but like more old school linebacker that's going to come up and just like, yeah, blow up your crap in the hole. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's like a, a more modern in space version of, of that. The other thing I think we'll be watching is what Richard Robinson were actually going to get. If we're going to get last year's Richard Robinson that performed well in limited snaps and he was a very, very effective cover corner, um, or do we get the, you know, kind of up and down Robinson that we saw this preseason where for every play that he seems to knock a pass away, he seems to give away a deep reception or he seems to just not be able to to disrupt anything in the passing game, uh, especially against a bigger wide receiver like Kelvin Benjamin, because he's going to be, you know, a, a big wide receiver that you would think that the big kind of corners that we are drafting and building this defense around are built to stop. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, this is what, these are the type of matchups that he uh, needs to be able to take on, right? If he's going to ultimately be this team's number one cornerback, um, you know, and again, being kind of the size and the profile that that they that he is and that they want him to be in this defense, um, you know, these are the type of players that he needs to do well against. You know, these big physical guys, um, he's still obviously, I mean, God with Kelvin Benjamin, especially depending on what his weight's at right now, like he might have like 60, 70 pounds on this dude, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be a, a situation where, I mean, la- last year, even too, he was up and down, you know, he had a couple of really, really bad games last year. Didn't look so great in the preseason. Um, and so, yeah, is, is he ready for this, right? Is he ready to be the team's top corner? How does he handle this sort of matchup? Um, and, and I think that's definitely going to be a key, uh, thing to focus on, you know, not only in this game, but, you know, I think throughout most of the season, that's going to be a key thing. Now on the flip side of the ball, I really want to see who Kyle Shanahan is going to pick on. I I watched, I was on a preview with uh, a Panthers podcast earlier this week, and I tweeted out some of the links if you want to listen to that interview, because it was actually a lot of fun. It was Billy from, um, um, the, oh man, I'm forgetting the the podcast name, but I'll I'll tweet it out again or put it in the uh, the show notes on Niners Nation. But the last year, when you look at the Falcons versus the Panthers, it seemed like Kyle Shanahan was 
either picking on intentionally or just finding matchups against Thomas Davis in in the passing game. And Thomas Davis is a really, really good linebacker, but he's 35 years old. And at 35 years old, chances are the things that have left you are your speed and some of your explosiveness. And so coverage just may not be his strength nowadays. And he stays in on nickel downs in coverage for the Panthers. But two of his three worst games in coverage came against the Falcons last year. Um, two of his worst coverage games were against the Falcons. His third was against some other team in Week 8. His coverage grade overall was 71 out of 100 based on Pro Football Focus's charting. But the Week 16 and Week 4 game against Atlanta both had him under 45 in coverage per PFF. So he definitely had bad games against Atlanta. And a lot of times it was just because of Kyle Shanahan's schemes putting him in conflict and he just wasn't able to cover a tight end or he wasn't able to cover a wide receiver. And you look at the tight end that we've got right now, which is George Kittle, who's an athletic tight end. You could see some matchup problems with Thomas Davis, especially if he stays in. And and I, I'm interested to see if Shanahan picks on him or if he picks on someone else. Yeah, yeah, I think it'll be, I mean, the the only thing, I think the Kittle matchup there could make a lot of sense, right, in terms of finding a way to, to kind of take advantage of that. I'm more concerned, like, whether if they find someone to pick on, can they actually pick on them uh, type of thing is, I think, is going to be make that a, a little bit tough. But, yeah, I think, again, just seeing this offense uh, for the first time in real action and seeing how they choose to attack things, I think my thing offensively that I really want to see uh, with that is how they use juice, right? Like, what is his role look like? Um, you know, is he actually going to be the quote unquote offensive weapon? You know, are they going to move him around? Is he going to play uh, tight end and line up in the backfield and be the lone guy in shotgun situations or, uh, you know, what do they do with him? Um, or is he going to ultimately just be a regular fullback in which case like they wasted a, a lot of money? Um, so I, I think just, yeah, like what is his role look like now that things count and they're actually going to be, uh, you know, showing kind of the full offense out there uh, for the first time. And then lastly, is Kwan Short going to kill Brian Hoyer? I mean, not out of the question. Uh, for those that don't know, he's going to be lining up on the interior. Defensive tackle for the Panthers. He's very good at football. Uh, the 49ers interior offensive lineman, not as good at football as Kwan Short is good at football. Uh, it's going to be a problem. Uh, he's going to uh, probably destroy a lot of things. And then what are you going to do? Double team him? And then you're staring down the star low to the lay barrel? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't as good last year, but I mean, the talent's there. Yeah, I mean, still it's still better it's than Fusco. Still, I mean, Beatles, probably for sure. We'll yeah, give him, we'll give him Beatles. Uh, it's it's going to be rough. Yeah, I think the the interior offensive line, you know, how do they mask that? They, they got to play uh, again. I mean, they got Aaron Donald. There's just all sorts of good interior linemen uh, that are going to probably cause a lot of problems for the 49ers offense. And this is just the first one. Yeah, the, the Panthers don't have Aaron Donald, but the Niners face Aaron Donald uh, right twice. Hopefully you pick that up. So so ultimately, this it was interesting because on the podcast with Billy, um, Billy was very much feeling like this could be an upset for the Panthers. He thought that the Niners, you know, were were a candidate to upset the Panthers week one. I was like, I don't my basic argument was I don't understand. I don't think that you understand how bad our interior line is. Uh, and, and that's one of your strengths. And so it was really funny because I'm on this Panthers podcast and I'm the one saying, no, 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 the Niners are going to lose. And he's the one saying, no, 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 the Panthers are going to lose. And it was, it was a really, really fun, fun and funny dynamic to talk to them about the team. 
Do you think this is an upset candidate for the Niners? I mean, this is a team the Niners have won, I think, what, the last, like, five or six opening day games? I mean, they right, the last two years, they've completely surprised us and blown out The Minnesota teams. game under Jim Tomsula uh, was the best game of his entire head coaching career. Never forget the graphic that showed Jim Tomsula <laughs> 1-0 along with uh, Jim Harbaugh and George Seifert, I think, yep. was on there. Bill Walsh, one of the two. Bill like, Walsh had, didn't win his first game. <laughs> Uh, well, no, it wasn't a first game win thing. It was like career win percentage. Win percentage. Well, because he was the interim uh, coach at one point. So he which already... they didn't even include <laughs> those games. They only included the one and oh. No, but he was the interim coach for one game and he won that game. But they didn't include that. It was just one and oh. It was this game. It was the Minnesota game. They even robbed him of a win and he and was it, still up there. And it was just like it was putting him there with Jim Harbaugh. I'm pretty sure it was George because I think George Seifert ultimately ended up because he got a take. He didn't have the bad yeah. years at the beginning. Right. So yeah. he got a. Uh, I think ultimately have a higher win percentage uh, during his career. So it, it was just, I mean, yeah. And then last year, of course, you've got Chip Kelly who won his opener as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, this so is, I mean, you know, it's week one weird shit happens. Uh, Cause there's just no film. So do, do you think is this, is the Carolina game one of the five games that the Niners are going to eke out? I would be surprised. I, I just don't, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen either. Just simply because, when it comes down to it, I think it'll probably it may be close in the first half, but I think in the third quarter and, and in the fourth quarter, that defensive line is going to just begin to dominate the offensive line. Yeah. And, and I think and, it's going to be I mean, one thing we didn't uh, like really touch on. But another like thing to watch is this run defense. Right. Again, 32nd in DVOA last year or 31st, excuse me. Um, and I mean, it was really bad over the course of the year as a big theme like this Panthers run game. Uh, is throws a lot of things at you, right? They do a lot of different things uh, in in the run game, obviously with with Cam and a lot of the option stuff that they do, and just uh, it, it's a lot to prepare for um, and and to be ready for. So, um, yeah, I think just how they hold up, and again, if it's if it's a situation where they can start to lean on that run game late and and really um, start to just on the ball inside play after play like how do they hold up right or, or is this really going to be an improved run defense or uh, are we going to see a lot more of the same because we have a lot more of the same in terms of the personnel that's up there so man i think that about does it for this week's show we've uh, we've covered a lot we gave you our season predictions definitely if you agree and or disagree tweet at us you can follow me at better rivals uh david where can they follow you it's gonna be at newman nfl that's right we're gonna i mean it's tomorrow man Games Dude, are officially tomorrow. So excited. We've got uh, we've been robbed of one game because of a hurricane because hurricanes suck. Yep. Um but uh, but we will have real football tomorrow. So this is going to be up tonight. Definitely hit us up throughout the week. Let us know what you think about the prediction and about some of those over unders. Let us know what it is that y'all are thinking. Uh, and thanks again for tuning in. Remember, I'm not trying to be a dick. But as always, go Niners. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. 
like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.